Thanks, Ian. Right, we're we just going to test the mic because it wasn't working a little bit before. Can everyone at the back, so James Coben, can you hear me? Everyone good? It's not dipping in and out? Yes? No? Yeah. We're good? Praise Jesus. Cool. Right. I can't tell, <laughs> yeah, that, that's, it is the problem of being a very loud man is whether people can actually genuinely hear me because of the mic or genuinely hear because of my voice. But to be honest with you, I can project my voice very loudly. That'd be pretty totally fine. Um, well, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Tottenham Hill. My name is Jeeves. I have the privilege of overseeing youth work for Hope Church with my gorgeous, wonderful pregnant wife, uh, which we are enjoying greatly. As you can see, I am supporting my team. Yes, indeed, England smashed Canada yesterday in the rugby. I don't know what everyone's talking about football for some reason, but apparently there's a game today or something like that. But let's be honest, kicking a ball with your feet is not that impressive, Ian. Um, I can say that because he hasn't got the mic anymore, but I know he will heckle. So let, let me just quickly carry on. We're looking at Luke 21. <laughs> so we're looking at Luke 21. We're following on from Ian's speech last week, where I'll be honest, this passage, this chapter, I genuinely think is the hardest chapter to digest in Luke. In our three-year journey that it's been, and yes, it genuinely has been around about three years, and it will be by the time we finish this, I genuinely believe that it's the hardest chapter for us as a church to really dive into, mainly because it's talking about the prophetic end times and what we have to do about that. If you haven't listened to the preach last week, I would so recommend it. Ian smashed the theology out of the park. But in a sense, as we were going through the 29 verses, 28 verses that Ian was speaking from, we had to really take it chunk by chunk, bite by bite, because it was talking about what people genuinely think Christianity is kind of all about. If you think about what common Christianity or the stereotype of Christianity is, what's the two things that come up? Rules and end times. It's, it's kind of either or, depending on the person that you speak to. It's this stereotype of Christianity that we've ended up having to digest to fully get why Jesus is preaching in this way. What's important to note, which probably helps us contextually, is that at the end of Luke 21, this is the last recorded bit of Jesus' public ministry. The only time he then starts to speak to the disciples in Luke 22, but then that's it. There's not another time that Luke records that he speaks to public. Now in Matthew and Mark, they add a little bit more of what Jesus speaks about um, in the Mount of Olives. But if we look at Luke's account, Luke, throughout the whole book, we know as a scientist, is calculated with the words that he writes. It's not uncommon, it's, not, um, it's, it's very deliberate about the way that Luke writes things and the way and the, the timing and the words, all these things. It's very deliberate by how Luke writes this that we should recognise that if this, if this moment, if these words are the last thing that Luke writes down as Jesus' public ministry, we really need to hear them for what they are. And Ian so helpfully um, took us on that journey last week where Jesus was talking about um, the, the destruction of the temple which was fulfilled in 70 AD but also the prophetic signs that we are going to see about the coming back of Jesus. So I'm not going to touch on majority of that so please, please, please listen to Ian's preach from last week otherwise today 
will just slightly go over your heads, but it will, it will carry, as we kind of look at the link, where Ian looked at the theology, Jesus ends his public ministry with looking at very important application. And that's mainly what we're going to be looking at today. Great. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke 21. We're going to go from 29 all the way to finish Luke 21 to verse 38. Okay, let me read. Luke 21 verse 29. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourself. Least your heart be weighed down and your dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that the day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will, it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all things that are going to take place and to take stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching the temple, but at night he went out and lodged in the Mount, Olive, um, Mount called Olive. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Let's just pray. Holy Spirit, just come and have your way right now. I pray that these words just come to life for us, that we just get to enjoy what you're trying to say through these words. Father, let them hear for what they are, and let's not add our own definition or reasoning on top of them. We just hand it to you, my King. In your holy name, Amen. Amen. Okay, so we start with this parable of fig tree. Though Jesus quickly clarifies to say, and all the trees. So what's really nice about this is that we don't need to really look down in terms of the whole um, scientific side of fig trees to really get what Jesus is saying. He's just kind of going, look at the fig trees and all the trees as a kind of symbol and clear parable about this. The fig tree was being used as an example of a season ending to usher in a season to come. It's kind of a perfect illustration at this time and place. As per Luke's account, Jesus taught in a temple and he went back up to the Mount of Olive, shown in verse 37. Different gospels say that Jesus was preaching from the Mount of Olive in some of the temple, but regardless of kind of what the um, lines are with all of that, we know that Jesus was at the Mount of Olive for some time. What's helpful to know about that is at that place, at that mount, it was famous for fig trees. Surprise, surprise. Easy win for Jesus as he was going to the temple and back, sees the fig trees. It's a common illustration, a common, um, I suppose, example of what he continued to see during the whole time. And he used that to be able to speak into the season coming. Fig trees in particular, but other trees do this, as we know, um, change their leaf colour when a certain season's done. In fact, fig trees in particular, when winter is coming, the leaves die quite quickly. They fall off very quickly. And when summer is coming, the leaves grow very quickly. So in a sense, for those around the area, the temple, as Jesus has so well done throughout the entire gospel, 
Dewey kind of on a human in that way. Um, but as he continues to do, he takes what is common for them as imagery and parables to help them understand the theology. And what he's done here by saying these trees that you commonly see around the temple, take note because as they indicate a sign of a change of season, so as the signs I've described to you just now should be your indication for a change of season. Really helpful. Really, really helpful. I mean, it's probably common knowledge to us that seasons change. You know, it, it's summer, therefore it rains. Like, that's, that's, that's what British summer is, right? Like, th that's how we know it's summer. Or, you know, we know it's winter when it gets cold. It's, it's that kind of things. In Ecclesiastes, we know that it talks about a time for everything. It's not difficult to recognise this whole seasonal thing that Jesus is saying. But he's not taking focus on the season bit. He's focusing on the understanding to know the signs. Detecting the signs. In fact, Jesus is describing, we often talk about this now or not yet kingdom. Jesus is, has, his whole ministry has been talking about this upside down kingdom. And when the fullness of it will come. And we believe in this idea that is now and not yet. It's Jesus came in form and it's ever increasing until the fullness of it comes. And that's what Ian was talking about last week. And so what Jesus is calling out is, here's the signs of when it's going to become the now kingdom. That's what these signs are for. You need to understand this so you know when the now kingdom is here. Now, Ian spoke about last week, and it's very well recorded about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Does that mean that these words infer to that same event? Because Jesus was prophesying it um, in the passages just before. Great question. I know you were asking. Let me answer. If we believe that, there's probably two problems with that. Number one infers that the next verses that we are going to be looking at also refers to 70 AD and there becomes a little bit of a problem as we look at that. In particular, when it's talking about watching out, stand firm, it kind of means that we don't need to do that anymore, which doesn't make sense. Secondly, if we don't allow the sentiment of Jesus' words to sink in and we assume that it's finished in 70 AD, then actually what we're about to hear Jesus of standing and watching on guard slightly goes over our head. And so actually, it's not just about 70 AD. In fact, it wasn't even referring to 70 AD. It was referring to these signs to help us understand the coming of man, i.e. Jesus, and the clarity of it. So these, this parable is apparent for us today. It is important that all we have been talking about as a church in the verses beforehand, we really take note of. We can't skip over this theology. It's really easy to kind of just skip over it and just kind of deal with it in another bucket because it's quite difficult theology to, to digest. We can't do that. Because the parable is inferring that we need to be aware of the signs to know that the season of change is coming. Jesus then says um, a classic Jesus phrase, 
of truly I say to you. I don't know actually if we've commented on Jesus saying these, this phrase of truly, truly I say to you. I don't know if we have, but um, when Jesus says it, he's, it's often a clear pointer to a theological stance that he's making that often is ushered in with an application. It's, it's the classic statement of Jesus, truly, truly I say to you, is to draw you in because here's the primary point I'm making and here's some applications to come. So we need to hear the fact again. He says, Jesus says that the generation will not pass until the signs described before will come into fruition. Even heaven and earth will pass away, similar to what's stated in Revelation 21, by the way. But his words won't. There is certainty in what Jesus has spoken about earlier in this chapter that it is to come the fact that his words will not pass away reminds us that his authority is beyond comprehension and the truth that he speaks will last far beyond our circumstances in our daily lives today it's helpful actually because it means that we don't need to be obsessed about end times I'm really happy I don't need to be obsessed about end times. I need to know about it, but I don't need to be obsessed about it. I'm so grateful. It's really freeing. Because it's not going to be subtle when Jesus returns. It, you know, Joey, it's like it's, you're not going to have to dig through the pages of news or scroll up the BBC news page to kind of see, and Son of Man has returned. Like it's not going to be hidden away in all the faff of news to try and find it. It's going to be very, very clear when Jesus returns. We're all going to notice it. It's very simple to see. We just need to know that his words will not die will not pass we just need to know the certainty of the science he's spoken about and understand it we are used to a culture where things change things pass let's just take the euros for example let's just say england wins what a day it'll be but in four years time or three years time is it likely that england win will win again potentially and after the, the next Euros, will England win? Potentially. But there is a probability there that most likely they will not. This service will have an end time, you'll be happy to hear. I, I did think about preaching all the way to 7.59, just for jokes, but I, I thought heavily against it when Ian talked to me about that. Um, this service will end. Your, your day ends. There's 24 hours in a day. There's not 25 hours in a day. It ends. Your week ends. There is certainty in time that it comes and goes. But we can be astonished and know that Jesus' words will last forever. Not just the words he's spoken before, but all the words he's spoken. The event of the crucifixion and resurrection is an established milestone that forever will stand. Even when Jesus' words of a new heaven and new earth will come about, because actually we can be assured that if you are brought into the family of God, you will forever be in the family of God. There is not only persistence, there is certainty in what Jesus is saying. Therefore, what do we have to do? Know the signs. 
That's what we need to do. Not be obsessed by the end times, know the signs. I'll come back to it. Jesus said in here as well, I don't know if you noticed, he talked about a generation that will pass. This generation will not pass. I don't know about you, but when I read that word, my first question was, now, who's this generation then? What are you talking about in terms of this generation then, Jesus? Some say it's the disciples, where it can't be, they're dead. <laughs> they're not here. That has already happened. Some say it's referring to 70 AD. But we know that can't be the case, because actually we need to still be on watch. We need to still be on guard. Some refer to the descendants of Abraham, with a collective generation, which could be some of us in that way. Some of them refer to a bad and wrong generation. There's many different uh, kind of commentaries that talk about different things. Some commentaries even describe about those who um, were predicting end times in 1948 or in 2000s. Well, surprise, surprise, we're still here. So what is this generation that is talking about? Well, as I've mentioned quite a few times already and hopefully it's sinking in the aim of this remember is not to actually be focused on the end times as if that's all i'm watching but to know the signs to understand what jesus is saying john MacArthur says if you're alive and you see the signs and you survive through that and you're not martyred and we're talking about believers here believers who are alive and looking and waiting for the coming of jesus christ if you're alive when all that starts you're going to be there when he returns and you're going to be into his kingdom. You're the generation. That's all it means. Praise Jesus for that. It means that we don't need to look at our next generation and kind of go, well, that's the end generation. Do you get what I'm saying? The, the important part really of what I want to draw out and Ian so helpfully did last week is if we get so focused on the end time side we don't see the journey that Jesus is taking us on. We don't see the immediate of what's going on right now. I don't need to think that the hope kids and the generation after that, well, that's going to be the last generation. So let me put half efforts in or anything like that. No, I'm going to be focused on what Jesus said for all of his words. And when I see the signs, that's when I know. Beloved family, the aim is to see the signs, know the signs, not to focus just on the signs. There's this tension always about this aspect of the signs and, and how do we live now. Paul comments on this so wonderfully. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17-18 says, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Notice how Paul adds the, the therefore in there. He doesn't say we'll be caught up, that's it, job done. No, therefore, right now, encourage one another with the words. We are in the preparation stage, not in the final stage. Until we see the signs. This is incredible if you're part of the kingdom of God. And I say this with all the love I can and no judgment in that way. But this is scary if you're not part of the kingdom of God. I, I, I want to say this honestly and lovingly. This is wonderful news. 
not to be anxious or fearful or anything like that if you are part of the kingdom of God but I urge you that if you're not part of the kingdom of God and you don't believe in Jesus hear my words God loves you and God wants you in that place so actually you don't need to be fearful of what to come I say that lovingly okay so we've understood the signs we understand what to do with them now what it's kind of the question right like we have all this detail great wonderful um now what jesus what do we do with them uh can you just help us out a little bit to understand what we meant to do with these kind of words and thank you jesus in the last section of what he says in public ministry he gives us this helpful application We live in this bit where we need to focus, as I said before, on this journey ahead. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's a journey. We continue to run our race in that way. It's a classic preacher's kind of um, terminology, running the race for the kingdom. It's something that we have to do because we're part of it. So Jesus says... In these words, watch the signs. Great, we're done, right? Thank you very much. We're finished. No. Jesus goes a level deeper than that. And he says, watch yourself. Watch yourself. It would have been easy if Jesus said, watch the signs. We, we would have finished quite quickly. But no, he says, watch yourself. Watch yourselves, lest your heart be weighed down. So fascinating that Jesus is saying, watching yourself as a form of getting ready. And what is his definition of ready? Was well, the description he writes about our hearts not being weighed down with dissipation, which by the way means overindulging in sensual pleasures, i.e. overindulgence in food, overindulgence in drinking, overindulgence in sex, wherever it might be, and drunkenness of life and cares of this life. To make sense, to make sure that we are following correctly, we need to be cautious of what we indulge in, cautious of what we get involved with, cautious of the temptations of, of life. Classic Christian theology. Do you see what I'm saying? This passage, Jesus, at the very beginning, as I said, this passage, Jesus is tackling this kind of stereotype Christianity of rules and end times. And Jesus just smashes to bits this theology of this rule space. Because let's be honest about it. How many times have you have heard some other preacher or someone stand on the stage and probably preach classic theology of don't do this, don't do that. Naughty, naughty, don't do this. Here's another rule. I, I guarantee you, if you speak to a non-Christian friend and ask them, what do you think Christianity is about? Majority will say, well, it's a book of rules, isn't it? That's what a lot of people think in this way. And it's very easy for us to read this little bit, these little verses, and say, watch yourself, be careful of what you do, in this kind of rules-based way, and completely miss the actual meaning of what Jesus is saying. Please know, and, and I hope, I'm, I'm going to reiterate this, just learning from what Paul Mayo said about his example, and make sure that if someone has fallen asleep right now, they don't get the wrong opinion. Jesus is not talking about a whole bunch of rules. It's not a list of rules he's talking about here. 
He's not saying watch yourself in some sort of military way of saying you need to be careful of what you do, commanding you. But he's saying it in a warrior-like way of saying be prepared to watch yourself. Do you see the difference? One of them is trying to be very under command in that kind of way. Other one is to enable and say watch yourself. Stay awake. Be aware of what your surroundings are. It's a warrior-like mentality. That's why Ephesians 6 talks about the armour of God. Not in some sort of rules-based way of that's how we have to equip us. No, it's preparing us to fight because a fight is on. A spiritual battle is on. And as we know what the end sign of a battle is, we need to be fighting throughout the whole time. It's not about rules. It's about relationship. Verse 36 summarizes this in such a wonderful way. Saying these three things. Stay awake at all times. Praying that you may have strength to escape all things. And, you're go- and that are going to take place. And to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus spoken actually in similar ways throughout this whole chapter. Verse 8, he says, watch out. Verse 14, he says, make up your mind. Verse 19, he says, stand firm. Verse 34, he says, be careful. And as we've seen, watch, stay awake, and stand. Beloved family, this is not a fear-filled statement for us to hear. Not at all. It's consistent with the journey that Jesus has been preaching about. That it's a battle. Hear this for what it is. It's the relational pull of Christ to come and fall more in love with him as we stand watch for everything else going on. Because it's very simple to ignore what Jesus is pulling us into and let us suppose the oceans of life draw our boat further away from him. I don't know if you've ever seen it or um, if you've ever uh, like dropped, uh, seen a leaf drop in a river or, or seen a boat that's been untied in an ocean after some time or even if you've gone into the ocean yourself gone into the sea yourself and after a little bit you're suddenly like where like how have we ended up out here how, how have we ended up just so drifted away from shore that's what life can do it can catch us up in a way that we slowly end up drifting off in the ways of life far away from the shore with The reason why he says stay awake because it's easy to fall into slumber and sleep with what life is going on so we're not actually watching what Jesus has put in front of us on this journey we need to be aware Hebrews, Hebrews 2 verse 1 says therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it Again, the focus is not on the end times, but on the relationship. <coughs> we do not realise what is to come, but there's motivation to be aware and be prepared. So I had to go, I don't want to cough on anything. Okay. We are to be discerning in action, jubilant in heart, confident in destiny, watchful in eyeline, servant in action, united as a church, and prayerful for the lost to come home before we start seeing the signs. It has to be done, family. 
Let me come to land. How do we apply this? How do we live? Well, Jesus helpfully says it. Watch out. Stay awake. And stand in front of him. Now, again, it's not saying that you can't have, like, if you're having sleepless nights, please sleep. <laughs> please rest. Stay awake. It's not about physical awakeness. It's spiritual awakeness. Being aware of what is going on. Jesus is preparing us for his return of full glory. But we already have the Holy Spirit here to enjoy Jesus on this journey. We enjoy the glory of God through the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful thing. It's about the journey. That's where our mindset has been. Imagine this. Imagine paint. The classic phrase of watching paint dry. Imagine if we genuinely would do that. Like you paint a wall and then afterwards just like, oh, now, now let's just wait until I can do that second coat. Yeah, this is great. This is great use of my time. Like it's, it's, a, it's a phrase for a reason. But imagine if we do that with our faith. Imagine with our faith that all that we're ending up doing is just saying, I'm just going to be aware of when these end times are come. And I'm going to follow all these rules that I have to do to make sure when the end time comes, I'm feeling good about it. It's It's bizarre. But we can easily fall into that. And we can fall into the other side of allowing life to sweep us up in these daily temptations and distractions. Allow life and of different aspects, stress, anxiety, to catch us up in that. But it's not, like, by the way, it's also not just the kind of classic big things of like um, anti-Christian uh, terrorism or it's not like real persecution to people it's not like what I'm just trying to describe here is when Jesus says watch and be aware it's not the big boom of life it is the natural lull of life that can seep in I'll be honest with you now I'm really loving me honest with you sometimes youth work at times has drawn me away from focusing on Christ it's weird isn't it because it's for the church but what I've ended up doing, I've been so focused on, okay, I've got to plan this, I've got to do this, I've got to write this, I've got a, a, like an event for, like a mini New Day coming up here, New Day have asked me to do something like this, and I've got to do this and that, and suddenly my list is so long, and if I look at my list, I'm like, not one of this is to do with Jesus, really. Every single part of this is to do with admin. But actually, if I look at my day, and what I've done on the day, and have I actually spent time with Jesus, the answer is no. I'm being really honest here. It's weird, isn't it? It's for the church. But that has ended up actually allowing me to sit on my boat in the ocean and draw further away from Jesus. What I'm trying to describe here is we need to be intentional to actually have a heart and relationship to go on the journey with Jesus. What, what falls into your daily love? Could it actually be your kids? And you're so focused on your kids that you're not seeing actually them growing Christ. Could it be so focused on satisfaction? Oh, I've got to do this and I've got to do that just so I can sit at home and everything will be okay. Could it be more deeper things? Actual temptations that cause us to fall away from him. And actually what can happen is we fall into that and sad to say that a lot of prodigal children have unfortunately fallen into this falling into something, capturing something maybe drinking or 
the, the, the satisfaction of the world and allowing that to then help float away from what Christ is calling them into to watch, to stay awake and to stand with him. What is your eye on? There's a, um, if you look at a chameleon, their eyes can move all around. So if they see a fly over there, their eyes so focused on their target that they know where to get. If you think about sport, if you see, like in cricket, if you see a ball coming, if you move like around to try and gauge where it is, but if you keep your eye on the ball, you're more likely to catch it. What's taking your eye off the ball? What do you need to recalibrate to actually fall back to say, it's time to stay awake, time to watch, and time to stand with obedience with him? You just stand with me, we're going to just pray. Just got some questions as we just stand before him in this moment. Just feel, as I was doing this, I'll be honest, I found myself calling out things. I was like, yeah, I'm floating away. This is, this is becoming too common that I'm not actually making sure that I'm focused on the journey. So I just wanted to give space, actually, that as we're here for this moment, we could just give stuff to him. Tie our boat back at the shore with him rather than allow the oceans of life to take us further away. It's just some things to call out. When you wake up, what's the first thing you do? When you wake up, what's the very first thing you do? What's the first thing that goes through your mind? Now, please hear me. I'm not talking about rules. I'm not saying the first thing has to be like, Jesus is king. Like, you get what I'm saying, right? It's not to be, it needs to be in that kind of rule-like way. All I'm saying is the first thing you're doing is going on your phone and swiping through Instagram or some news. I would ask and I would challenge, is that one thing in life that is following you to fall away from him? Social media is such a sinkhole in the ocean to draw us away from him. How do you see the church? What is the church to you? Is it the church that I have to do certain servings in for? Or is it we are the church? That you're part of the family. And actually serving as part of the church is because I'm part of a family rather than a chore I have to do. How do you see your relationship with Jesus? Is it just kind of there? Or is it completely embedded intertwined with every aspect of what you do because we know as 1 Corinthians 10 31 says says whether I eat or whether I drink whatever I do I do all things for the glory of God how do you see alpha is alpha something that the alpha team does or do you recognize it's something that you're part of as part of the mission and vision of God's kingdom to come on this earth and for the lost to be saved how do you see the lost? How do you see your friends? Do you see them as kind of people that you want to fall into and just make sure they like you? Or do you see them as people who need to know the king? And that is the utmost of importance. Let me pray. If it's anything that's landed or just kind of going for a moment where you're just going, you know what? I've allowed this to take me at times further away from him. Work, whatever, whatever thing I've said. 
if you want, but we're all eyes are shut, if you want to put your hand as an offering of ourselves, an offering of those things to give to him, then please join me in doing so. Yeah, marvellous king, we just say right now, thank you that Jesus, you've said signs for us. But thank you, Jesus, that you didn't ask us to sit and just look exactly for those signs. But you've given us the signs to recognise the season of change that will come. But right now, you've called us to warrior up, to be armed with the armour of God, to watch, to stay awake, spiritually and wonderfully, and to stand. And Holy Spirit, right now, we say, we give things to you to say, God, let that be done in our lives. Things that have taken us away, to drift away from you. We just say, fresh again today. We reprioritize our life and say, Jesus, you sit on the throne. You sit on the, the steering wheel. You draw us back in. You are the utmost of importance in our life. Jesus, you be glorified in our life. And we just say, Jesus, we ask that you would recalibrate things in our life so we would be founded and grounded and rooted in you, my King. We thank you, my marvellous Saviour. Amen. Amen.